You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week, we question the punitive nature of fines. We have fines under council laws for parking to public transport tickets to corporate toll road fines to now during the pandemic under the guise of public health. Governments here in so-called Australia and internationally are turning more and more to fines despite concerns they increase inequality. What are some of the most common fines? Who are most affected? How can you access support if you've received a fine? What happens when people cannot afford to pay fines? Why are governments turning more and more to fines? And what moves are there pushing back against this trend? I spent to community lawyer at West Justice, Shufa Bluestein, who critically examines the fines regime in the state of Victoria. So I'm joined on Women on the Line by Shufa Bluestein. Thanks for joining me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm a community lawyer with West Justice, which is a CLC, a community legal centre in the western suburbs of what's now known as Melbourne. Um, I've worked in the community sector in legal casework, community development and advocacy for quite a while. Cool. Thank you for that. So we're going to be going into a bit about the punitive nature of fines and how they control people. Um in an article published in Overland in February last year, entitled Fines Designed to Crush, you write, and I quote, Toll road offences today constitute the most common kind of case heard each year in the magistrate's court. End quote. Could you tell listeners some of the most common fines and how, in, in particular, toll road fines have rose to prominence and how they differ from, say, a debt with a utility company? Yeah, sure. So the most common fines are toll road fines, traffic fines for things like speeding and red light offences, public transport fines for not having a ticket or not having evidence of your concession status, um, and parking fines. So, for example, we had a recent client who accrued 84 parking fines for parking in front of her transitional accommodation in Footscray, where there was only two-hour parking. She Mm -hmm. was experiencing uh, distressing mental health symptoms, which made it even harder for her to move her car every two hours. So you can accumulate a lot of fines in a short amount of time. Toll fines are so prevalent because until recently, if you drove on the toll road every day, you could get a fine of up to around $400 every day. And so that quickly adds up to tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars that we saw for some of our clients. Recent law reform, though, pushed by the legal assistance sector, means that now you get one toll fine a week, even if you use the road every day. Um, We were actually pushing for one fine a month or even less frequent, but we accepted this compromise and it's starting to make a noticeable difference in the number of fines people are accumulating. So the reason people accumulate so many toll fines, it's mostly happening in um, poorer outer suburban communities with poor public transport where people are more reliant on roads. 
and for people with a poor understanding of the consequences of unauthorised use of the road, that's particularly a problem for newly arrived communities. Um, so some people don't even know it's a toll road or what a toll road is, and most people don't know it's a criminal offence to use the road without paying. Another reason can be that fines are often accumulated in a family violence victim survivor's name by a partner driving a car up and down a toll road that's registered in the victim survivor's name. And sometimes that's a deliberate form of family violence. So a toll road company is a private company and usually when you owe a private company a debt, it's enforced by debt collectors and the civil legal system. And people on Centrelink are protected from debt collection and usually their debts are waived. But um, toll, toll companies can choose to make a private debt a criminal matter by asking the police to enforce it through the fine system. And in fact, this happens pretty much automatically. So this means that the debt is hugely inflated up to about $400 per week of use even though the original cost of using the road might be as little as $9. Um, there are fewer options to get out of the system. You're not protected from enforcement if you're in financial hardship and you get sucked into a complex criminal system which can end in court-ordered payment plans, criminal records or even imprisonment. Mm, yeah, it's very concerning. Uh... Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was... Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, some of the like latest big contacts in terms of fine developments have been public health fines. There's been in the last year around forty thousand public health fines given out by Victoria Police of that as they have criminalized public health breaches through seven new offences, and it's now the fourth most common crime. I'll put that in inverted commas. And we've seen from data, the limited data that police has given out, that fines have targeted people already criminalised, people with criminal records, that is, people from poor and working class suburbs, which you've touched on, Indigenous and South Sudanese people, while wealthy and white suburbs were least affected. Could you talk more about the context around punitive and the punitive and unequal nature of fines? And if we're seeing an increase in use of fines, and you've touched on there that there was a small sort of decrim win in terms of toll roads, but was still quite far away from that. Yeah. Um, so in terms of inequality of fines, although fines might seem to apply to people, people equally, in reality, in my view, they target people who are poor and already oppressed or marginalised. Lots of fines criminalise just not being able to pay for something, for example, toll road fines, car registration fines, parking fines, public transport fines. If you can pay, you never really enter the fine system. But if you can't pay, once you're sucked in, it's very difficult to exit unscathed. For example, many people end up with a criminal record. And also, a lot of fines depend on the discretion of the officer issuing the fine. So especially for police um police interactions for COVID fines or fines where the driver is pulled over by police or fines like drunk in public. And that exercise of discretion just repeats the biases, the racism, the discrimination against poor people and people of colour that we see in other parts of the criminal legal system. So already oppressed people end up burdened with the bulk of fines. Um, I think you can say that there is an increasing reliance on fines 
They're a form of punishment that is supposed to free up court time. They're a one-size-fits-all automated punishment and they generate revenue for the government. Some councils and maybe the state government, I'm not sure about that, put fines income into their budget. So they have to issue a certain number of fines to just be financially viable. Mm, Yeah, that is concerning. And I have read about that being like a worldwide thing. There's increasing use of um, fines to sort of prop up municipal governments and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah, in terms of listeners who might have got a find, might, might have got a fine and might need support, where can they go to access support? Yeah, so community legal centres, Victoria Legal Aid and financial counsellors can assist. So you should contact um, either the Federation of Community Legal Centres. They're on fclc.org.au. You can contact the National Debt Helpline to find your nearest financial counsellor. They're on um, 1800 007 007 or ndh.org.au or the Victoria Legal Aid Helpline is on 1300 792 and they're all free and confidential services. Cool. Thanks for that. And I'll provide a link to those in the podcast notes when it's up. Women on the line. So sort of returning a bit back into some of the things you mentioned in your article, could you talk a bit about how the provisions for people who cannot pay fines have become more difficult to access, including in relation to survivors of family violence? Yeah. Um, So in 2017, the Victorian government introduced measures for people experiencing disadvantage in the fine system. One thing called work and development permits, which is ways to work off your fines get through treatment, volunteering, mentoring, um, and therefore people experiencing hardship. And also the family violence scheme, which is a way to cancel fines incurred in the context of family violence. Um, for example, where the victim survivor was, um, you know, speeding to escape family violence or she was she um, accumulated parking fines while sleeping in her car after leaving a violent relationship or situations where the perpetrator incurred fines in her name, um, driving her car. And those measures are in addition to the special circumstances scheme, which is an option for people who are experiencing mental ill health, intellectual disability or acquired brain injury, problematic use of drugs or alcohol, um, family violence or homelessness linked to their fines. But this option sees you walk out with a criminal record in most cases. But the reality is that many people can't access any of these options for a number of reasons. Um, Firstly, there are barriers to obtaining evidence. For example, people aren't connected to services, and this is the case for many victim survivors of family violence who never link in with services. And there are really high evidentiary thresholds. But maybe most importantly, I think, Science Victoria rarely actually tells you about what options are available other than payment. Um, You only meaningfully find out about those options if you make your way to a legal service or financial counsellor, which is not the case for most people or many people. I would estimate there are probably tens of thousands or more people out there in the community entitled to access these measures who will never find out about them. And instead, people will come into contact with the sheriff and the harsh enforcement measures of the system instead. 
Mm, yeah, that, that's really telling that there is that sort of hidden thing that most people aren't aware of unless they get the support to be, become aware of that. You have been listening to Community Lawyer at West Justice, Shifra Bluestein, speaking to the punitive effects of fines in the state of so-called Victoria. If you're in a state that's not Victoria and needs support on a fine-related matter, check out contact details for your community legal centre online. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you've been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We now hear from Shifra, responding to my question on the punitive bureaucracy that escalates from fine non-payment. So you've written about automated labyrinthine process that escalates through warrants to court to imprisonment in lieu of payment. Um, so could you talk about the fine system and how that operates? Yeah, so if you don't pay a fine initially, it escalates automatically. It progresses through a number of stages where additional fees are applied and it gets to a warrant which empowers the sheriff and fines Victoria to take certain action like um, suspending your licence, cancelling your registration or clamping the wheels of your car. And contact with the sheriff is often the first contact someone with fines has with an actual person. Before these things have escalated without anyone usually making actual human contact with you beyond lots of letters and they're often sent to the wrong address we see. Um, They don't even contact you if you've accumulated hundreds of fines. You just get sent hundreds of individual letters. And letters are problematic for many people that we see because the stress means they avoid opening important mail because they can't face it. I should say that Fine Victoria has recently introduced what they call a debt campaign where they phone or SMS people about their outstanding fines. But the problem is they don't tell them about any options except for paying. So despite that, some people don't even know they have fines until the sheriff gets involved. So the practicality of taking action before the sheriff contacts you is limited if you don't know that there are actually things you can do apart from paying. But once the sheriff is involved, it's mostly too late. When the sheriff executes a warrant, they can sell your belongings or arrest you and send you to court. We had a recent client who had her car sold and that caused her to lose her job and her family became homeless. Um, At court, a magistrate has the power to cancel your fines. That's usually done in addition to a court-ordered payment plan, which has serious consequences if you default. One type of payment plan is called an imprisonment in lieu order, which you mentioned, where if you default, the sheriff can take you straight to prison without any intervention, further intervention by the court. It's supposed to be used less frequently um, post some law reform, but the sector is still worried about it. Uh, A Freedom of Information request in 2019 showed that 301 people had spent time in prison solely for fines over the previous 10 years. One person had spent 429 days in custody just for fines. And you can imagine the socioeconomic circumstances of these people. Um, Many people don't know that this power to imprison people for fines even exists in Victoria. We've heard about it in Western Australia, but not here. And to me, it's just an outdated power and should be abolished as soon as possible. 
Mm, yeah, it definitely is pretty concerning. 400 odd days inside for unpaid fines. That's mm-hmm. enormous. Um, yeah. And I guess moving towards some more of the why the system is designed as it is, um, you end your piece in Overland suggesting that there are ways that fines can be decriminalized, but they serve a function for the system. And I quote, specifically designed to control people in poverty, those who bear the real scars of this structural violence. Would you like to talk about that some more? Yes. Um, so I think this, this bit is really interesting to me. If you read someone like Michel Foucault, you'll know that he views imprisonment as a way to um, discipline people and form them into what he calls docile, productive members of neoliberal society. Foucault didn't consider fines, and not many thinkers have, but some philosophers like Maurizio Lazzarato, who I referred to in the article, um, consider debt to function similarly to prison. And there's a, there's a correlation between how debt and how fines function. Instead of through actual payment with money, repayment is made through a person's effort to increase their conformity and assimilation into society to try to avoid the punitive tools of the system. And so we can see that for poor people caught up in the fine system, it functions to enforce conformity, surveillance, and the creation of a self that internalises disciplinary forces so that the person comes to discipline themselves. A fine for some people who are seen as breaking the law in what I would characterise as really trivial ways, debts and fines complement the use of institutions like prisons as discipline. Um, you know, there's been an evolution of technologies of control and surveillance, and these functions of imprisonment have begun bleeding into society. So the disciplinary functions of prison actually exist outside the prison walls as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. There'd be so much to unpack in that. And yeah, so many connections in terms of, I guess, broader like systemic control in terms of capitalism, racism and stuff. Uh- Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> So another thing that's happened in the last year or so, there's been a four-month fine inquiry conducted by the Fines Reform Advisory Board headed by former Chief Police Commissioner Ken Lay. Um, Could you comment on what's come out of that? Yeah, so the board was appointed at the end of 2019 and it was set up to examine the dysfunction of the fine system, mainly IT stuff-ups and problems with the introduction of so-called fines reform. But the community sector convinced the board to look at the system more broadly than this. And the board actually picked up most of our recommendations, including for improved access to the special circumstances system, fairer payment options for people experiencing poverty and avoiding court for special circumstances fines. In December, it took quite a while for the government to respond to those recommendations, but the government did come out and say which recommendations it supports and which need further consideration. So, in brackets, probably won't be implemented. There are some positives here. For example, the government um, supported in full the measure that fairer payment options for people in hardship should exist 
but we have to wait and see what happens. It's an opportunity for further advocacy for us. But like many other inquiries, the government says that they'll act, but they delay and prevaricate and, and avoid implementing the recommendations. Mm. Yeah, so not necessarily much good coming out of that, but an opportunity. Um, and more in terms of the future, would you like to comment on any pushes towards decriminalisation of fines or political initiatives set up to assist people targeted by fines? Yes. So at the moment, as far as I'm aware, there aren't really any campaigns to decriminalise all fines, but there are a number of campaigns to decriminalise and introduce different responses to certain so-called offences. So Tanya Day's family um, spearheaded a campaign to decriminalise public drunkenness, which the government is working on at the moment. They're replacing the offence with a public health response. But it'll take two years to implement, so more people will get fined in the meantime. Um, but nevertheless, it is a huge and overdue win. There are efforts to decriminalise toll fines or bring them back into the civil debt system to enable toll road companies to apply hardship provisions. And that's a campaign that advocates for the different treatment of toll fines for the reasons I've already kind of discussed, including the extremely harsh impact on poor people in the outer suburbs, the fact that these fines are overburdening the court system and because they're criminalising extremely trivial behaviour. So Transurban, the company that operates Links, or it was formerly known as CityLink, is on board with this and they're advocating on it, but the police are blocking it, unfortunately. There's also a campaign for confession-based fines, which are fines where the amount owed is reduced if the person is on Centrelink. And there's an alternative model called day fines where the fine amount is proportionate to your income. So if you earn a really high income, then your fine is increased significantly. Um, that measure or that reform is well overdue in my view and needs to be introduced as soon as possible for any appearance of fairness to exist in the fine system. Otherwise, it's just criminalising poverty. There's also a campaign, or there has been, for free public transport for trips for children and people on Centrelink, um, but this has met with significant opposition from the government. There is, however, in principle support for providing free public transport to young people who are experiencing hardship for them to get to school, escape family violence and get to important appointments. And that's based on a pilot that West Justice did in the western suburbs. We're hoping it'll be expanded statewide. Um, this will decrease the occurrence of public transport fines to young people who experience transport poverty. But as I said in the article, to me, these are band-aid solutions to conceal the true purposes of the fine system, which, as I've said, from my observations working in the system for quite a few years, are to punish and control poor people and those living on the margins of society. So to me... Without decriminalising at least those offences that pose no public safety risk, like parking, toll fines and public transport offences, these pervasive purposes will persist. Mm, yeah. yeah, it sounds like the government are going to favour Band-Aids um, at the moment without bigger movements yeah. against like the carceral pushes that they've been pushing for a number of yeah. years. Thank you so much for your time, Shifra, um, on Women Online.
Thank you. You have heard from community lawyer at West Justice, Shifra Bluestein, speaking to the punitive control created by fines in the state of Victoria and locating fines in a broader social and political context. For further reading, check out the article Shifra wrote available online in Overland entitled Fines Designed to Crush, published in February 2020. Women on the Line Also on the topic of fines, in the news in January 2021, there were confusing reports in The Age that many COVID public health fines might be dropped. After backlash by conservative media and the police association, Victoria Police insisted they would continue to grow tough on COVID fines. The community legal sector at the time put out a media release articulating their concerns. And I quote, Fitzroy Legal Service Principal Lawyer Adrian Snodgrass said the about-face was a distressing blow for members of the community who have been fined unfairly. It is creating confusion among the general public, those who have been fined as well as the legal profession, he said. And we've been running an advice line for COVID fines and spoken with a lot of people. Almost every one of them has tried to comply with Victoria's restrictions. We've had people come to us who don't speak English well enough to explain to police that they had a lawful reason for being outside. Others acted in good faith, but misunderstood the complex and rapidly changing directions. Many are still saddled with a $1,652 fine that they either need to pay or challenge in court and risk a criminal record. People will just accept a fine that they shouldn't have received and can't pay because they don't want to take the risk. Reviews of infringement notices are almost always refused without reasons. There is no way of getting your situation properly reviewed without going in front of a magistrate, he said. Community legal centres are urging police to ensure that people who have been fined unfairly aren't forced to go to court to have their fine withdrawn. There are already significant delays in Victoria's courts. It can take a year to get your case heard. Forcing people to use the court system to sort out fines is a huge extra burden. The use of fines should be a last resort in a public health response. Fitzroy Legal Service supports any moves away from reliance on policing to promote public health. And that's all for Women on the Line this week, talking about fines, a form of punitive control. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The theme music for Women on the Line was produced by Ripley Kavara. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.